0: You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. It was the golden age of Hollywood, the roaring 20s. People had more time to spend on leisure and entertainment, and Americans fell in love with the cinema. The black-and-white silent movies progressed to color productions in the 1920s, and in 1927, the first talking picture was made. Movie stars like Rudolph Valentino, whom you may recognize from one of our previous episodes where we discussed his cursed ring, Clara Bow, John Barrymore, Mary Astor, Charlie Chaplin— Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks, and Greta Garbo were idolized by millions. By 1929, there were 25,000 theaters, and an average of 100 million Americans went to the movies on a weekly basis. William Desmond Taylor was arguably the most famous director in Hollywood at the time, working behind the camera for Paramount Pictures on around 60 movies and acting in 27 more. He worked with some of the greatest actors and actresses of the silent era, but it was the fame of Taylor's shocking unsolved murder that would ultimately overshadow his cinematic career. On the night of February 1st, 1922, A woman came home to her bungalow in the West Lake neighborhood of Los Angeles and noticed her next door neighbor's light was still on. Taylor often worked late into the night, so she didn't think much of it. But early the next morning, the woman awoke to a terrible scream. Mr. Taylor is dead, Mr. Taylor is dead, shouted Henry Peavy, Taylor's cook and valet as he ran up and down the yard. Peavy had arrived at work in the early morning hours and saw Taylor lying on the floor with blood around his mouth. Peavy's screaming alerted the neighbors, many of them actors and actresses themselves, who eventually shuffled into Taylor's apartment. Someone from the crowd identified himself as a doctor, and he stepped forward, declaring that Taylor had died of a stomach hemorrhage. But when the police examined the body, they found Taylor had been shot in the back with a small caliber pistol. The so-called doctor vanished, possibly out of embarrassment, and was never seen again. Neighbors would later recall hearing what they thought was a car backfiring around nine the night before. One couple, alarmed at the sound, had looked out their window to see a man leaving Taylor's home. A sordid suspect list was drawn up by the police. A deranged stage mother, drug dealers, a love struck teenage movie star, and members of an opium cult were just a few of the complicated leads. One of the newspaper headlines at the time read Taylor murder, one of most baffling cases ever given to the Los Angeles police. Who killed William Desmond Taylor? Stay with me as we explore this perplexing unsolved murder. I'm Jaden McKell. And you're listening to Straight Up Enigmas. Hello, listeners. If you enjoyed the show, it would be super amazing if you could head over to Apple Music, tap the subscribe button, and leave a review. It really helps out our podcast. Connect with us on social media, where we post each episode as it airs. We're proud to be a member of the Straight Up Strange Network. Follow the network's Facebook page at Straight Up Strange and check out our discussion forum, The Strange Room, to enter a world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. I'll include a link to the group in the show notes. Also, if you'd like to support our podcast, please check us out at patreon.com slash straightupenigmas to receive bonus content, shoutouts on social media, personalized messages from me, and early access to our regularly scheduled episodes. Without further ado, let's get back to the show. The man who would become William Desmond Taylor, known to his friends as Bill, was born in Ireland in 1872 as William Tanner. From 1885 to 1887, Taylor attended Marlborough College in England, and in 1890, he left Ireland for a dude ranch in Kansas. There, Taylor picked up acting again. He had first been exposed to it while at school, and eventually moved to New York City. While in New York, Taylor courted actress Ethel May Hamilton, who sometimes used the stage name Ethel May Harrison. Hamilton's father was a broker and an investor in the English antique store on Fifth Avenue, the antique shop, which eventually employed Taylor. The two were married on December 7, 1901 and had a daughter, Ethel Daisy, in 1902 or 1903. Taylor and his family were well known in New York society and were members of several clubs. He was also a heavy drinker, possibly suffered from depression, and was known to have affairs with women. Taylor and his wife, Ethel, were married for almost seven years before Taylor suddenly disappeared, deserting his wife and young daughter. After his disappearance, it was revealed he had suffered from mental lapses, and some friends thought he might have wandered away while suffering from amnesia. Others thought he abandoned his family in New York and headed to Klondike to pan for gold and work with various acting troops. His wife and daughter had no idea where he was, until one day, they went to the movies and saw him appear on the big screen. Taylor traveled through Canada and the northwestern United States until, in 1912, he found himself in Hollywood. By that point, he had changed his name to William Desmond Taylor. He quickly found work as an actor before directing his first film, The Awakening, in 1914. In the years between Taylor's arrival in Hollywood and his murder, he directed dozens of films and also served in the Canadian Expeditionary Force near the end of World War I. He was successful, living a lavish lifestyle, But at 7.30 a.m. on the morning of Thursday, February 2, 1922, Taylor's dead body was found inside his bungalow at the Alvarado Court Apartments in Westlake, Los Angeles, a trendy and posh neighborhood. The coroner found that a 38 caliber bullet had entered the left side of Taylor's back. Based on the bullet holes in his vest and jacket, officials concluded that his arms were raised at the time of the shooting. They later conceded, this could mean Taylor was embracing somebody who then shot him in the back. When police surveyed the crime scene, they found that Taylor's wallet held $78 in cash, and he wore a two-carat diamond ring, which seemed to discount the idea that the murder was a robbery gone bad. But just the day before, Taylor had shown his accountant a large sum of money, which was nowhere to be found. A woman's nightgown was also recovered at the scene. Detective Sergeant Edward King, who was assigned to Taylor's case, believed Paramount Studios was taking measures to silence their stars who may have had, quote, useful information. He claimed many years later that within the first week of the investigation, they got the word to lay off. Much of the physical evidence relating to the murder was lost, maybe due to this desire to hush up certain aspects of the crime. In spite of these setbacks, the police and press identified more than a dozen possible suspects in the killing. There was even one confession, though no one was ever charged, and the case remains officially unsolved to this day. While most of the suspects were cleared by the police, many of them present strange stories that seem to come straight out of an over-the-top crime flick. At the top of the lineup was Mabel Normand, A popular comedic actress, she was said to be Taylor's lover and one of the last people to see him alive. Normand was addicted to cocaine, and Taylor had tried repeatedly to help her get treatment. Eventually, he went straight to the source, attempting to report her dealers to the police. Many suspect that Taylor might have been killed by someone in the drug ring attempting to stop his efforts. Another suspect, Edward Sands, had worked as Taylor's valet until about seven months before the murder, during which time he had forged Taylor's name on checks. Sands had even broken into Taylor's bungalow, leaving footprints on the bed. For some, Sands is considered the most likely suspect, while for others, he's just a victim of a larger conspiracy. After the murder, he was never seen or heard from again. Henry Peavy, who had taken over as Taylor's valet after Sands and found the director's body, was also a suspect. While the police cleared him after intense questioning, the story goes that a reporter for the New York Daily News was convinced that Peavy was the killer and thought she could trap him into a confession. She offered to pay him $10 if he could identify Taylor's grave in Hollywood Park Cemetery. An accomplice had already gone ahead and was waiting at the gravesite, draped in a white sheet. When PV approached, the sheeted accomplice claimed to be the ghost of Taylor and said, You murdered me. Confess, PV." Unfortunately for them, PV saw right through their charade, thanks to the fact that they hadn't known Taylor had a strong British accent, while the ghost was from Chicago. We'll be back right after this. This podcast was sponsored by Best Fiends. I find myself reaching for the mobile puzzle game Best Fiends whenever I need a break from researching bone-chilling ghost stories or unsolved mysteries. Best Fiends is this charming, really fun game you can play right on your phone. And while Best Fiends has challenging puzzles, it's a casual game anyone can play. I just made it to level 170. I honestly just love how you collect tons of characters and need to use them strategically for each level. The great thing about it, too, is that it doesn't take up much of your time, but it fills those moments during self-quarantine where you wish you had something to do. It's a great way for me to take a break from everyday stresses, like pandemics. You also don't need internet connection to play, so it's great for when you don't have any connection. The game is visually stimulating with its bright colors and adorable characters. Plus, Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events, so it never gets old engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters trust me with over 100 million downloads this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play download best fiends free on the apple app store or google play that's friends without the r best fiends hey this is Ken m Padawan j coach duffy from the Ocho duro parley hour podcast Thanks for listening to the ODPH. Now get back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Next in the lineup was Mary Miles Minter, a former child star and protege of Taylor's who was also deeply in love with him. Passionate letters from Minter to Taylor were found in his bungalow and many sources alleged a relationship between the two that began when Minter was only 17 and Taylor was 47. According to Minter's own statements, however, Taylor refused to reciprocate Minter's advances and said that he was far too old for her. One popular theory is that the man seen retreating from Taylor's house wasn't a man at all, but Charlotte Shelby, the mother of Mary Miles Minter. Shelby has since been characterized as manipulative and greedy by tons of amateur detectives and true crime writers. She's often connected to the killing because she owned a rare gun similar to the one that killed Taylor, and after his murder, she threw it in the Louisiana Bayou. Shelby was, by many accounts, an incorrigible stage mother, and she was outraged by the possible relationship between her daughter and Taylor. In the coming years, both of Shelby's own daughters would accuse her of the murder. My mother killed everything I ever loved, Mary Minter would later claim. Another suspect, Margaret Gibson, was a silent film star who worked with Taylor when he first came to Hollywood. She died of a heart attack in 1964 and on her deathbed told the priest and group of neighbors who had gathered around her, I killed William Desmond Taylor. This didn't become public until 1999 when it was printed in the newsletter, Taylorology, devoted to collecting and transcribing newspaper articles and other accounts relating to the murder. One last theory posits that Charles Ayton, the general manager of Paramount Pictures, might have been involved with the director's murder. He's said to have entered Taylor's bungalow in the hours following the murder with a group of Paramount employees and removed compromising items. In the opinion of your humble host, the woman's nightgown found at the scene of the crime sounds pretty incriminating. If not that, what else was removed from Taylor's apartment? Could the nightgown actually have been planted there by Aiton himself? But why? Some theorized that Taylor was a homosexual and Paramount Pictures didn't want this secret getting out. Another point I'd like to touch on is the supposed doctor that stepped forward, claiming Taylor had died of a stomach hemorrhage. How could any doctor mistake a homicide for a stomach hemorrhage? I'm no doctor, but would the carpet underneath Taylor have been soaked in blood, a clear sign that there had been an injury to the outside of his body? What if an actor from Paramount Pictures posing as a doctor tried to hide the fact that there had been foul play? If they could label Taylor's murder as a natural death, the police wouldn't come snooping and uncover whatever secret they were trying to hide. This theory could explain why later, during the investigation, Paramount tried to get the police to, quote, lay off. Despite all the confessions, suspicious motives, and a slew of biographies professing to reveal the true killer, no consensus emerged and Taylor's murder was never solved. Minter and Norman's careers never recovered from the scandal, and the incident left a deep mark on the industry. It influenced films like Sunset Boulevard and Hollywood Story, as well as dozens of true crime writers and Gore Vidal's novel Hollywood. Not only that, the murder signaled the beginning of the end for liberated Hollywood. Tinseltown had been producing racy and irreverent silent films like Flesh and the Devil and The Temptress. Silent film star Roscoe Conkling, Fatty Arbuckle, had been accused of rape and murder, and a string of actresses died of drug overdoses outcry from conservative political and religious groups who wanted the movies to represent correct thinking with wholesome storylines resulted in dozens of censorship bills across the country. William H. Hayes was hired by the studios to help fend off government censorship by creating a self-policing system of don'ts and be carefuls. Moral behavior became a requirement in actors' contracts. Hollywood, unsurprisingly, proved to be not very good at self-policing, and by 1934, studios were required to get a certificate of approval from the Production Code Administration before a movie could be released. The death of William Desmond Taylor definitely left a mark on the culture of Hollywood and Los Angeles, but I think it's the not knowing what really happened to him that keeps the fascination with him alive to this day. What do you think? Who killed William Desmond Taylor? Find us on Instagram at Straight Up Enigmas or Twitter at Straight Enigmas and let us know. You can also contact us through email at straightupenigmas at gmail.com or through our website straightupenigmas.home.blog. If you like the show, please remember to hop onto Apple Music to give us a 5-star rating. It really helps the podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on our next episode of Straight Up Enigmas. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.